Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Welcome to this week's episode of the Divine Lantern. With the blessing of His Eminence Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower and enrich. I'm your host Jonathan from Saints Peter and Paul Antiochian Orthodox Church in New South Wales. In this week's episode, we'll be joined by Reverend Father Paul Ilhelu from New South Wales, who'll be providing a message from the Gospel of Mark, as read on the Sunday of the Myrrh-Bearing Women. This will be followed by short readings from our Philocalic Nourishment series, as well as a selected chanting track. We'll then conclude today's episode with a reading from our Orthodox Library. Enjoy. Gospel reading of Mark chapter 15 verse 43 to chapter 16 verse 8. At that time, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate wondered if he were already dead and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. And he bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in the tomb which had been hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb when the sun had risen. 
And they were saying to one another, Who will roll the stone for us from the door of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled back, for it was very large. And entering to the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had come upon them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. In today's Gospel reading, we read the reading of the myrrh-bearing women, which is read on the third Sunday of Pascha uh, and is also read on Holy Sunday Pascha itself within the Orthodox Church. We are confronted in this Gospel reading where it was quite testing times for Jesus' disciples. Following Christ's crucifixion, burial and resurrection, At the start of the reading, we see Joseph of Arimathea asking for Pontius Pilate for Christ's body after his crucifixion. Joseph of Arimathea, we are told, is a holy man. As it tells us, he is waiting for the kingdom of God. He is also a member of the Jewish council and a secret follower of Jesus. He asks for Christ's body as it was late on Friday afternoon with the Jewish Sabbath fast approaching. And it was Jewish custom that anyone not be buried on the Sabbath, and so Jesus had to be buried before the Sabbath. Before Pilate would release the body of Jesus to Joseph, he had to confirm he was dead. The centurion did confirm Jesus' death. Joseph took the body, covered it in fine linen, laid Jesus' body in the tomb, which was we are told was honed out of, of stone. The large stone was then rolled against the door, sealing the tomb. Many of us in the past may not have thought too much about Joseph of Arimathea and his actions in regards to Jesus' burial. He was so emboldened, so brave to take Christ's body. Can any of us picture this? He was asking for the body of Jesus from the man, Pontius Pilate, who was the ruler of this world, who had just crucified Jesus. How many of us would have been this courageous and emboldened as Joseph of Arimathea was. I do not think many would be as brave as him. So why was Joseph so brave? We will look at this together with the actions of the murdering women in more detail. Being three days since Jesus' body was laid in the tomb, the murdering women were bringing spices to anoint the body of Jesus, as was part of the Jewish burial custom. However, the women don't seem to be too familiar with Jesus' teachings. During his earthly ministry, where Jesus told his disciples he would be killed and resurrected on the third day. The women were truly going there to the tomb to anoint Christ's body, not thinking he was resurrected. As they were saying to one another, who can roll away for us the stone from the door of the tomb? So they were more concerned with the physical act of rolling the stone, more so than thinking or understanding uh, the resurrection of their Lord. But looking up, they saw this large stone was rolled away from the door of the tomb. Why was the stone rolled away from the door of the tomb? Was it so Christ could leave the tomb? 
No, this is not the case or the reason. As Christ was now bodily resurrected and had no need to exit the tomb via the door, the stone was rolled away so the women could look in and witness that the tomb was empty. Upon entering the tomb, the women see a young man, an angel, dressed in a long white robe. And all the women were amazed. I'm sure anybody who would have witnessed the resurrection of Christ in regards to the angels would have been amazed. The angel says to the women, One, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Two, he is risen. He is not here. Three, see the place where they laid him. Four, go tell the disciples and Peter. Five, Christ is going before you to Galilee. And number six, there you will see him as he told you. The angel is proclaiming the truth about Jesus and his victory over death by telling the women, he was crucified, he is risen, he is not here. You can see the empty tomb where he was placed. Believe. Now go tell his disciples and Peter to meet him in Galilee as he had instructed them. The angel is proclaiming the good news of Christ's crucifixion, burial and resurrection to the women who were the first witnesses to Christ's resurrection. But why does the angel refer to tell the disciples and Peter? Why was Peter mentioned separately to the other disciples here? Was it because Peter is greater or more important than the other apostles or the senior leader now of the, of the apostles since Christ was crucified? No. It was only three days ago before Christ was betrayed by Judas Iscariot and handed over to the authorities that Christ told Peter that he would deny him three times before the cock crowed. When Christ was arrested, Peter was challenged as being a follower of Jesus, but he denied Jesus three times. Peter must have felt great guilt at that time, knowing that he had denied Jesus. Now, Peter, we must understand and think about Peter, what he would be going through, knowing that he had denied Jesus. Peter would have had much anguish and internal suffering and would have been asking himself all sorts of questions internally about what he truly believed and how he could have possibly denied the Christ. The angel was specifically mentioning Peter so that Peter could repent, trusting God, knowing he was forgiven by Christ. As only God would have known that whilst Peter was the first to fall, through repentance and trusting God, Peter would later help his brothers and lift them up and support his brothers as he was lifted up and supported by Christ. As they might start having doubts in believing that they, the Lord had risen. So what can we as Christians in God's holy church understand and learn from this miraculous event? Joseph of Arimathea and the myrrh-bearing women were all gripped by fear. Fear, a feeling which all of us as human beings experience and know too well. Fear is something that we know about in our earthly lives. It is something that we must deal with. But here is the fear that people were having as disciples after their teacher Jesus was crucified. They had the fear of losing their lives to be crucified or to be murdered the same way that their master had been. 
So this fear that his disciples would have had would have been a fear of being caught and subject to the same punishment as their teacher. Along with this fear, they would have had differing levels of faith as we do in the world today. All of us are seeking our salvation in the Lord, trying to work out our salvation. But many of us are coming at different paths and levels of faith as to how we truly believe that Jesus is the Christ. The more we truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the less that we will be gripped by fear. Fear is the one thing that paralyzes and cripples man more than any other natural feeling. So where did this boldness, this courage, this strength of the disciples who earlier on had all run away and many had denied him, where did this come from at this hour? They didn't find boldness and overcome this fear by their own human means. For we are told in the scriptures that we cannot do anything by our own. Without the Lord, we can do nothing. It is by their true faith and loving God that God gave them this miraculous boldness and strength. This is not human strength we are referring to here. This is spiritual strength that can only come from the Lord above. For we are told that all good things come from the Lord. And here we have people who are gripped by fear, and now they are pushing through, not considering their own well-being and even their own lives. This is something that's beyond human endeavour because they believed and they trusted in God. When fear grips us and fear paralyses us, we will find that we become distant from God. For to be anxious is not to have a total trust in God. Being anxious and having fear means that we believe sometimes that we are close to God, but when we are put to the test in the actual situation, we fail. So how do we eliminate fear? Well, fear is not something we can always eliminate, but it is something that we can allow not to paralyze us. As it says in the scriptures, belief in the Lord Jesus is the way to dissolve anxiety and fear. So I pray that when we too are tested and gripped by fear or doubt, that by the grace of God and only by the grace of God, that fear does not paralyze us to act as God wants us to act. For we are called to do God's will and fear stands between us and doing God's will. And we know in the scriptures that anything that stands between us and doing God's will is something that is what the evil one wants. So we are here to do God's will and fear is a tool that the evil one uses. For we can do nothing without God, for our mortal flesh and minds are weak and we need the saving grace that can only come from the Lord. And Joseph of Arimathea and the myrrh-bearing women are wonderful examples of what trusting and loving God can do in overcoming fear. But not just overcoming fear, to then move forward with boldness and with strength that they probably knew that they never had. Why? 
because trusting in God will heal all things. Trusting in God will heal all sufferings. Trusting in God leaves no doubt that we walk forward in faith, knowing that the Lord would carry us, even if we stumble, to think we would go through this world without stumbling is being ignorant of ourselves. We are all human beings. We will all stumble. The key as a Christian is that when you stumble, how you bring your problems and put them at the feet of Christ, that he may help us and lift us back up again to stand back on our own two feet, but in faith and in the love of Christ. Lest we be tempted and fall into sin. Amen. Thank you, Father Paul, for that in-depth sermon. And now a reading from our Philokalia. Take your weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our Holy Neptic Fathers with this week's Philokalic Nourishment. Pray persistently about everything, and then you will never do anything without God's help. Undistracted prayer is a sign of love for God, but careless or distracted prayer is a sign of love for pleasure. St. Mark the Ascetic In Psalm 23, the rod is said to signify God's judgment, and the staff his providence. So he who has received spiritual knowledge of these things is able to say, Thy rod and thy staff have comforted me. Saint Maximus the Confessor Do you have a longing for prayer? Then leave the things of this world and live your life in heaven, not just theoretically, but in angelic action and godlike knowledge. Evagrios the Solitary. This coming Sunday, the third Sunday of Pascha, we celebrate the feast of the holy myrrh-bearing women, and we also commemorate Joseph of Arimathea, the secret disciple, and Nicodemus, the disciple by night. Christ is brought myrrh by the wise women disciples, and to them I bring a hymn as myrrh in offering. The women went to Christ's tomb on Holy Pascha to anoint his body, only to discover it empty. We know the names of only eight of these women, Mary the Theotokos, the mother of James and Joseph, who were the sons of Joseph the betrothed from his previous marriage, Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Cleopas, Joanna the wife of Cusa, Salome the mother of the sons of Zebedee, Susanna, and Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. Joseph was a rich and noble man, and a member of the Privy Council of Jerusalem. He dared to ask Pilate for the undefiled body of our Saviour, which he took and buried in his own tomb. Accompanying Joseph to the sepulchre was Nicodemus, a Jerusalemite who was one of the leaders of the Pharisees. Nicodemus brought 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes to scent and embalm the body of Christ. 
by the intercessions of the holy myrrh-bearers, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, O God, have mercy on us. Amen. This is a day of resurrection. Let us be radiant, O people. Hosta, the Lord's hosta. For Christ our God has passed us from death to life and from earth to heaven. We will sing the song of victory. Glory to your holy resurrection, O Lord. Let us lend our senses that we may behold Christ who gleams like lightning in the unapproachable light of the resurrection. And we shall clearly hear him say, Rejoice as we sing the hymn of victory. Glory to your holy resurrection, O Lord. It is worthy for the heavens to rejoice and the earth to be glad. The whole world, visible and invisible, celebrate. For Christ, our everlasting joy, is risen from the dead. Christ is risen from the dead. By death he has trampled upon death. And to those in the tombs he is bestowing life. Jesus, having risen from the grave as he foretold, has bestowed to us eternal life and great mercy. The Mystery of the Resurrection a chapter from The Resurrection and Modern Man, written by his beatitude Ignatius IV, Patriarch of Antioch, of thrice blessed memory. According to a certain human logic, we should begin by asking ourselves about the meaning of death, in order then to understand the meaning of resurrection. That is, if it is true that to rise from the dead means to come to life again after having once been dead, I dare put forth this elementary observation so that we can better grasp its ambiguity, indeed its sheer senselessness. This sort of approach would be pointless in the first place, because in fact death has no meaning. It is pure absurdity. The very essence of non-meaning. Within the light of the resurrected Christ, we understand that no death has meaning or positive significance other than that which is beyond death. In the life that the reality of death both hides and reveals, giving us access to it. This awareness can be ours, however only from within the event of the Lord's resurrection. Therefore, we will begin with the resurrection itself, and only then will we ask the question, Death, where is your victory? The approach that would begin by asking the meaning of death is inane for another reason, for it presupposes a confusion that is widespread today concerning the meaning of the term resurrection. This mysterious word is all too often used in the limited sense of to come back to life. The crucial point, however, is that the resurrection of Christ does not involve the simple reanimation of a dead body. It is something wholly different from the resuscitation of Lazarus. It is in fact unique. We cannot grasp the meaning of Jesus' resurrection by taking as our starting point his physical death. To the contrary, the death of Jesus of Nazareth only has meaning in the light of his resurrection. Only Christ's resurrection can explain what led up to it and what followed it.
including the very mystery of death in which we find ourselves involved at every moment. If death remains the inexplicable enigma whose absurdity strips away all meaning from our own existence and that of humanity as a whole, the resurrection of Christ stands as the unique event that bestows its universal truth upon all that exists. History, whether personal, communal or cosmic, is a sealed book that only the Lamb can open, the Lamb who is slain, for he truly died, his death is a fact, yet who is standing, for he is truly risen from the dead, his resurrection is also a fact, albeit one of a different order as the Apocalypse affirms. If our quest for the meaning of resurrection depends only on a simple human logic, then it will fall far short of its goal. It must be guided and illumined by a new and different light, the light of the revelation. The resurrection of Christ is in fact the ultimate revelation, the ultimate apocalypse. Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. We should stress once again the fact that the resurrection of Christ is not an event like any other. From a superficial point of view, this is what distinguishes it from Christ's passion, an event, about which we have very precise and detailed accounts. No hidden witnesses inside the tomb could have taken a photo of the event of the resurrection. On the other hand, any contemporary reporter could have filmed Lazarus as he came forth from the tomb. No, the resurrection of Christ is no ordinary event that can be analyzed by scientific methods. Nevertheless, it is an historical fact a true event that occurred in the course of our history and vitally concerns our history. We can even say that the resurrection is in the image of the true and living God. Although it is not an ordinary event, it is nonetheless the most real event of all times. In biblical terms, we could say that the resurrection is not a flesh and blood event, but rather an event of the kingdom of God, that kingdom which dwells both among and within us. The body of Christ that rises from the dead is truly a body. It is a living body. It is a living body, St. Paul would say, a spiritual body, filled with the breath of God, the divine pneuma that knows nothing of death. Without repudiating our exegetical approaches to the question, we can nevertheless understand the discretion of the evangelists who refuse to describe the Lord's resurrection, while they devote the most important part of their testimony to his passion. The fact that Jesus suffered and died is a reality seen and known by everyone who was present. It was a concrete fact, even if its meaning escaped most of those who witnessed it. The resurrection is also a fact. It is, however, a mystery. The extraordinary mystery of God and man that no longer contains the ambiguity inherent in the interpretation of ordinary phenomena. Either it remains unknown and inaccessible, or it is radiant with meaning. To be more precise, it is not an event and of itself, concrete, capable of being isolated and analysed by subsequent investigation that could only interpret it and explain its meaning in a remote and exterior way. To the contrary, it is the purest form of relational event, relating with all that is inseparable from creation and from the Creator, illumining all things from within and giving meaning to all, since it is both the origin and the end of all. big thank you to all our listeners as we conclude this week's episode of the divine lantern be sure to subscribe and share our channel on your favorite podcast provider 
for more information on our Archdiocese, follow us on our social platforms by searching Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese Australia. Enjoy your week.